Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Ron Jor is out this week, but I'm excited to be joined by a dear brother, Dr. Phil Newton. Dr. Newton has served as a pastor for over 40 years. He continues mentoring and training pastors through the Pillar Network as Director of Pastoral Care and Mentoring and through Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he serves as an adjunct professor. He's authored several books, including 40 Questions About Pastoral Ministry, and his new book that we'll be discussing today, Shepherding the Pastor, Help for the Early Years of Ministry. Brother, it's such a joy to have you in the studio for today's conversation. I know it's been a packed two weeks, probably a packed couple of months for you, but just so glad that you happened to be in Wake Forest these two weeks, co-teaching a seminar with uh, with some of our professors, and I'm just so grateful uh, for the time you're taking out to, to join the podcast. Uh, thanks a lot, Brendan. It's a joy to be here, and I'm grateful for uh, what you and all those in the pastoral leadership area are doing. Let's get the conversation started off with you maybe sharing a little bit about your new book okay. uh, that you co-wrote with Rich Shadden. Okay. Real quick, I, I just really liked the way that this book was formatted. You, you play the role in the book as the experienced pastor with 40-plus years of ministry, and Rich kind of plays the role of a younger pastor, right? 10 plus years of ministry, but still relatively young, who you've been mentoring. So let's just get the conversation started with you sharing a little bit about why you wrote the book and why you feel this is the time for a book like this to be written for pastors in their early years of ministry. Okay. Rich was a pastoral intern with us for about two and a half years. Love, I love the guy. He, he's got such a heart for the Lord and a passion for pastoral ministry, and, and I recognized his good pastoral skills. So he came to me uh, you know, when this church was showing some interest in him, and I was familiar with the church. It was in desperate need of revitalization, uh, massive facilities, I think over 80,000 square feet of facilities, and they had about 75 people in an auditorium that would seat probably 1,000 or 1,200. Mm. And um, I, after Rich accepted the call to go there, and I, I talked him through in a lot of things and said, okay, don't expect this, this, and this, but you better expect you know, some of these other things. And w- one of the things I told him is probably uh, w- within six months of being there, you're going to sit in your study one day and, uh, and say to yourself, what in the world have I done? <laughs> and with Rich, it, he, he said it actually happened after about two or three months instead oh, wow. of six months. And, and he began to see this. So the, the, the mentoring did not stop once he accepted the pastorate. He was regularly calling. We'd meet for lunch. I'd go by and visit with him. I visited the church uh, some. I preached there. Just, just to try to interact, I met, <clears throat> I met with the deacons and uh, different sorts of things to, to try to interact. So with this, Rich was seeing areas of his life where he realized he had great need. He needed somebody to give him some direction. And I think every pastor is, is right. at that point. If a guy thinks, I've got this all together, I know everything I need to do, he is kidding himself. 
And Rich, fortunately, was not one of those who was kidding himself. He, he, sometimes he was desperate. And so we, we would talk about it, uh, about whatever the issue du jour happened to be. And then, I don't know, maybe two years ago, he said, we ought to write a book about this. It, because he felt how much he needed this ongoing pastoral mentoring, even after being a pastor for all those years and thought that others might benefit from it. So r- the book was Rich's idea. Uh, he pitched it to me. I said, okay, let's do it. And so we, we started that journey and trying to map out, okay, what are we going to deal with? And we we culled things and carved just as you do as you're writing a book. And, and, and it ended up in a lot of ways being um, a, a very deep-thinking, refreshing time for me and sometimes a painful Mm. Uh, time, as I thought back on different issues in pastoral ministry, and th- the same thing for for Rich. His was probably much fresher, but I was I was reliving some difficult years where I wished I had had more mentors in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was coming through with my first pastorate in uh, starting in nineteen seventy eight, uh, there. There wasn't this you know, planned mentoring, pa- pastoral residencies. I'm sure a few people yeah. did that, but it, it just wasn't common. So I fortunately had some men I could reach out to that would encourage me along the way, and I I would have been sunk without them. So we sensed this. We thought maybe this will help some other guys to see the ongoing conversation. Yeah, it's such a unique book, and it's actually written in partnership with Nine Marks, which is, yes. which is also really, really cool. You know, you mentioned— you know, as you were writing this, there were memories that were brought up for you, some yeah. some very painful. What were those early years of ministry like for you? Uh, I'm sure there were many ups, and I'm sure there were many downs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what were some of those early years like for you, and what are some key lessons that you've learned that you were able to share with, with Rich and other pastors through your role at Pillar? Yeah, I think one of the first things in, in my first pastor, which was in southwest Mississippi while I was a seminary student in New Orleans, and then once I graduated, I, I continued there. And and one of the first lessons was Sunday keeps coming, and it comes every week. And so that level of preparing to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then as as it happened in, uh, in our old church, uh, teaching on Wednesday night, leading a prayer meeting, and, and just realizing, okay, you can— you can know how to do the X's and O's of uh, hermeneutical and homiletical work. But doing that every week, doing that, knowing that you really don't have a break. And, you know, there was no one else in the church right. that could preach. So that that was part of it. Uh, realizing that you're parachuting in, especially in those smaller churches like that that are in rural areas, you're parachuting into a group of families that have known each other all their lives, yeah, and, and you're an alien, and working through that, working through the relationships. Um, th- the next church I pastored was a little bit closer in town in uh, southeast Alabama, and, th- and there were some wonderfully sweet folks there, but they also had those family ties, and and so again, I was parachuting in, and, and so learning how to navigate that um, Learning how to try to make wise decisions on dealing with their traditions, uh, you know, there there were things like, eh, I don't care about this. Well, it may have been something they really cared about. So you you have to be careful about in youthfulness and and in idealism 
just deciding, oh, I can do whatever I want to do. No, you've got to work Because most pastors process. that are young, they have it in their head. They're coming out of seminary. Oh, yeah. They're thinking, this is the way it needs oh, to yeah. happen. This is the way I'm going to go oh, yeah. do it. And they totally neglect what you're talking about, those yeah. deep relationships, you know, the history of the church, the history yeah. of the community, all of these things. Yeah. I was very fortunate in that church. There were there were several older people that took me under their wing and just loved on me. And I could talk to them about church problems. What do I do here? I, I've never seen this. You know, we didn't talk about this in seminary. And so they were very, very gracious. The next church I served was super hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they began in a split in the 40s, and they split on every odd-numbered pastor, and I was number seven. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I'm serious. They even split on the first pastor. Oh, wow. Uh, they began in a fight. I found out later. That I didn't get this with the pastor search committee. I found all this out after I've been at the church. But the the local police had to be called out. Oh, wow. Uh, that, that's how bad the the split was. So you you had— all kinds of fragmentation. There was not a lot of biblical preaching that that went on. I don't think I didn't I didn't gather that after I'd been there for a while. I think there were some some good guys there, but in terms of uh, preaching expositionally, I, I I remember this one guy who ended up really trying to undermine me. But early on, we'd meet for prayer. He was a, the chairman of the deacons and. And so several of us meet for prayer, and in his prayer, he would he would thank the Lord for my boldness. I'm thinking, boldness? I'm just preaching the text. And he, and he would do that repeatedly, and I thought it was odd. I'm, I was in my late 20s at the time, and I, I thought that was a little bit odd. And then as it turned out, yeah, it was odd because there was n- really not a great hunger for the Word by a lot of the people, especially some of the, the old guard, as you often call them. So I'm, I learned a lot of things about myself during that time. I remember going through a, in a super painful situation, and, and I was thinking what they are doing and what this person is doing and that person is doing. And m- my wife and kids and I went to a cabin, got away from everything. Of course, mm. no cell phones or anything like that during <laughs> that time. And, and, and I just felt deadness in my soul. I mean, the kind of thing like I don't know that I'd ever felt it like that before and the the Lord was showing me I'm dealing with your heart Mm. I mean no audible voice but that's what I sense the Lord was really dealing with my heart he was uprooting things in my life he was bending my way as Ecclesiastes points out he was bending my way so that he might work things in my life and that became pivotal for me you know, I really began to to see things, and then I planted a church uh, in Memphis uh, in uh, the late '80s, and and then spent 35 years there. And there were lots of ups and downs, lots of lessons to learn. Um, so, you know, I've been pastoring for nine years, served on church staff for about another three years, close to that, and been preaching for quite a few years. But there were still so many lessons to learn, and. One of the mistakes there was thinking, if I can just plant the church and I can do it my way, right? everything's going to work well. And I would just say to any brother, that is folly. Yeah. One, you don't even know your own heart. You don't even know what is going to happen with you. And you certainly don't know what's going to happen with some of those people that join you in that work. And they, they may all pan out very well. 
But that's, that's not always the case, and, and you're going to face trials and difficulties. We're, we are fallen people, pastoring yeah. fallen people in a fallen world, and so we're going to experience that. Some things are just completely even out of your control. You can have yes. everything planned out to a T, yes. and it could be going well, and then boom, 2020 happens, yeah. and it yeah. just throws you for exactly. a week. Exactly. And then as a church planner, you, you have meeting place issues, and a lot of times those things are out of your control. You can no longer have this space, and, and I remember— we were scrambling trying to find a, a place to meet, and I think we had a list of 35 or 40 different places. And so I was going around having meetings, doing phone calls. Um, it, one place that was most open to us, or one of the most open, was a Jewish Community Center mm-hmm. in, in our town. And they acted very interested, and I thought, well, this is pretty ironic. <laughs> As it turned out, we didn't go there because we couldn't meet every week. Um, so those were hard times. We ended up having a, an absolutely abysmal location. It was, it was in an industrial center. It was a, there were n- no houses around it. But that was the time where the Lord just uprooted so many things mm-hmm. in my life, turned me upside down theologically, methodologically, worked a lot of things out of my system. So I needed we we uh, the building looks sort of like the Alamo. So that's what we called it was the Alamo, and the Lord used that time in my life. And that's so encouraging just to hear how, you know, even when we experience some of the the most difficult trials in our in our lives and in our ministry, that's where the Lord yeah. just goes to work. And I know so many pastors listening could probably relate to what you experienced yeah. uh, throughout your ministry. Uh, so how vital are mentoring relationships in ministry, and, and who have been some of your mentors yeah. throughout the years? Yeah, I think that the mentoring relationships is important because, one— you, you've got wisdom in those who have gone through some experiences that you haven't had. Uh, they've got insight that's been honed through pain and difficulty and, and trials. And, and when you're coming through, even if you've been pastoring for a number of years, you still need insights. I would say that even as somebody that pastored as long as I did, you know, for over four decades, I still needed insights from other brothers. Um, it, there was a uh, there's that threefold, um, threefold cord that is not easily broken, mm. and and so we need those strands of mentoring woven into our lives. Uh, I think back to a number of guys. There was a there was a pastor in Mobile when I was in college that uh, conti- that was continually willing to pour into my life, and and I would call him. Of course, it was a big deal making a long distance phone call in those days. <laughs> you had to pay for that. And uh, and so sometimes I, I would talk to this pastor and and he would help me out. Sometimes it was it was my brothers that were close to my age, mm. uh, who just had empathy for me. They prayed for me. They knew you. They knew me. They they knew my weaknesses. They knew my strengths, and they were able to speak into my life. And I, I think those were important. Uh, w- once I moved to Mobile, uh, Doctor Stephen Oford was there, and and Doctor Oford. Um, came to faith in Christ in England. He was a child of missionary uh, parents, and uh, he he preached on D-Day to to the troops as they were going out. Uh, he he pastored in uh, in England, then pastored in in New York City, and then had an itinerant ministry. And I remember the first time I heard him preach when I was in college. I literally couldn't get out of my seat. I was just dumbfounded because of the way he expounded the scripture, and. And so once I went to Memphis, he happened to be there. He had a 
expository preaching center. So I attended some of the some of the seminars, and then he began to bring me in, and he, he had me teach at, at a few things. But at some of those very difficult times, and I I never wanted to bug him, but it, it, if something really got pretty thick and and difficult, I would contact him. And and I remember one particular time. Um, I was actually in the shower, and, and my wife said, Dr. Oford's on the phone, and I'd <laughs> left a message. And so I got out, and uh, I was getting complaints about preaching expositionally and uh, and the length of my sermons, and maybe some of those links needed to be tweaked a little bit. But Oford was talking about how uh, he used to face the same thing when he pastored Calvary Baptist in, in New York City. And, and so he said, bro, every year, I would preach on why I preach expositionally. And so I pre I did a sermon on why I preach expositionally that, that the following Sunday night. I had such a response to it, I came back and preached the same sermon the next Sunday morning. So I, I don't know that I've ever done anything <laughs> quite like that. But that was helpful. That didn't cure all the issues, right. but it helped me stay on the right path. So having guys like him, and I would also say I've really been mentored by books Mm. Read pastoral biographies. If if you're not reading pastoral biographies, you are cheating yourself. So, I you know I would read Spurgeon, of course, or read about Edwards. Uh, Ian Murray's work on Martin Lloyd Jones was a balm to my soul. Uh, even though he wasn't, he, he was more of an evangelist. Uh, George Whitfield's journals met me at a time. I, I remember one really bad season I was going through. And I thought I was going to get fired any given Sunday. I thought, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to be kicked out or my pay's going to get cut so much that I'm definitely got to get another job. And so I would come in on Sunday nights. I would read the one ads in the local newspaper and I would read Whitfield's journals. And, and it was Whitfield, not the one ads that ministered to me. So having, having those pastoral mentors that you can talk to, yes, but also don't forget about the the treasure of guys that that may be sitting in your study, and and they can serve you well. Mm. We you know we tend to think of mentoring as something that someone does when they're younger. You know th- yeah. those relationships are kind of established at, when you're in seminary or right. you're fresh, uh, and that's certainly the case a lot of times. But you are a advocate for lifelong ministry right. mentoring relationships. You know Chuck Lawless uh, actually wrote an article we recently published on why he believes every believer uh, should have a mentor regardless mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of how old you are. Yeah. Uh, because the reality is that we're students for life. Right. We're, we're constantly growing. We're right. constantly learning. And, and that's something that, that will never cease. And we live in a fallen world. Yeah. And sometimes we tend to see things uh, subjectively, and we need somebody that can come alongside and help us think through things clearly. You know, one of the things you mentioned was having a group of guys uh, in your ministry that were the same age of you that knew you really well. There's a group of guys I met in college. We did college Bible studies together, and the Lord has kept us together, tight-knit. Mm-hmm. We talk almost every day. Wow. And just yesterday, I was reflecting back on how we're all kind of in different life seasons. You know, mm-hmm. we have a brother that's about to expect a baby any day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had, we have a, a brother that just adopted a baby. And looking back, you know, over the past year or so, three of us have had miscarriages, one of us started a first time being a pastor. One of the the one that uh, adopted a baby. It was a long process, uh, filled with hurt, and 
uh, the Lord just brought us back together at the right time just to counsel one another, encourage one another. I always say play referee Mm -hmm. (laughs) with one another because when you're wrestling with things, you need referees that can make sure you're not uh, looking at it wrongly or you're not committing fouls here or there. So mentoring relationships are just so important and vital in in ministry, but just in life in general, even if you're not in ministry. If you're an aspiring pastor, if you're uh, just someone in the church, I mean, we see it in the Scripture, just this desire to seek out these types of relationships that you are constantly learning and growing. And one of the things you mentioned was just reading and letting books be your mentor. Uh, I remember when I first started uh, seminary, picking up uh, Luther's letters of the first spiritual counsel or of spiritual counsel mm-hmm. and just reading through Martin Luther's letters. Yeah. Uh, oh, those were so <laughs> good. Yeah. And I didn't expect it. I was, I was picking this book up just to learn a little bit about some of the correspondence that Luther had with, but I found myself constantly encouraged and challenged and just overwhelmed by, by his wisdom yeah. a lot of times in those, in those letters. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned in your book, multiple relationships that we see throughout church history of mentoring relationships. One yeah. that stood out to me was Martin Bootser and uh, yeah. John Calvin. Yeah, that That's one that I've, I've read about in great detail, and I'll, I'll never forget just looking at how deep of a relationship that really was. Right. You know, when, when Bootser passed away, there was a letter sent from William Farrell to Calvin, and he says, I've received Pius Bootser's last letter what a heart, what a man has gone. What a, We must rejoice in our sorrow that a man so fond of us has journeyed to God. I have no doubt. After his journey, he commended us to God. How wow. rightly he thought of you. How justly he wow. loved you. Wow. And that's just a bond. Like, yes. That's not something yes. that you can just find. That's something you have to create and build and work at yes. day after day. Yeah. I was thinking, in order to maintain those relationships— You've got to always be teachable, mm. and you've got to have a humble spirit. And and I think what happens sometimes, guys get the big head. They think they got everything under control. Uh, s- sometimes there's so much narcissism working in the mind that uh, a guy thinks, I don't need anyone else. I'm, I'm going to do this my way, and I don't care what anybody else says. And those guys are dangerous. They're, they're dangerous to the church. They're dangerous to themselves. Uh, they're, they affect the rest of the Christian community. And we've certainly, in the last few years, seen those kinds of personalities. So there's got to be teachability. There's got to be humility. Because you've got to be willing to listen to someone else. And you've got to be willing to take it when someone uh, comes to you and said, you know, that sermon you preached, that really was not clear. You missed the text. Let me help you and show you how to deal with this. And when people buck against that kind of thing or you know, I don't think that was a good pastoral decision you made. Mm. Uh, had you done it X, Y, Z way, you probably wouldn't have gotten the, yeah. the result. So how can we rethink that? And and so th- those uh, those mentoring relationships, and there, there's got to be humility from the mentor too. Yeah. Uh, the, the mentor doesn't need to think he's got the, the fountain of wisdom that all humanity needs. No, he's a learner as well, and he's got to walk in humility. Yeah, and yeah, that's a good point. And maybe even being told and being able to be receptive to, you're not ready yet. Yeah. You know, you, you, need, you need to continue to, <laughs> to work at this. Yeah. I, I remember uh, one guy that we had that I was mentoring, a really good brother, and he wanted to go plant a church. And I said, brother, I don't think it's a good idea. 
I, I, I don't think you're ready, but he was determined that he was going to do it. And it, he, he got started, didn't pan out very well. Matter of fact, panned out pretty bad. Mm. And he, um, you know, there, there were a few points that we talked along the way and some of the decisions that he was making, how he was handling things. I, I, I was pretty appalled. I think, nah, this is not going to go well. And, and it didn't. And that's where he would have been better off listening and, and been a bit more patient until that time that, that he was ready to go out and plant a church. Mm, right. So no young young pastor, no aspiring pastor would probably say, I don't want to be mentored. I right. think there's a recognition, especially now. I mean, we, you've mentioned yep. it. We've, we see a rise in, of ministry residencies. You know, there are obviously those that feel aspirations for ministry going to seminary. Nobody wants to be left alone. Yeah. Um, they want somebody that can teach them. So what tips would you give for young pastors listening who don't currently have a mentoring relationship, but desire that what what are some steps that they can they can take to maybe start that kind of relationship yeah i think i think one make good use of biographies don't just pour yourself into that alone because you you need somebody that's going to be asking you questions and a lot of times those books are not asking you questions pushing back Uh, so and you, you could also find yourself living in the 18th century and you're living in the 21st century. So there, those are things you got to work through. So there, there are limitations. They're good. They're helpful in, in the meantime. Go back and look through who are the men that have impacted me. Approach them. Uh, I've had guys ask me, would you be willing to mentor me? I have turned guys down because uh, I remember one guy was in a church locally uh, that had a number of pastors, and he wanted me to mentor him. I said, no, you, yeah. you need to let one of your pastors mentor you. He he wasn't pastoring at the time. Uh, I, I think if you're pastoring, it, then uh, is there someone in the community that can mentor you? Is there an older pastor? And, and it may not be a formal relationship. And I, I think this is one of the areas, Brandon, that we, we've got to think through on. We're, we're so used to now uh, residencies, formal pastoral internships. A lot of times mentoring is in a casual way. Uh, we're, it, it's, it's really, as, as Gunther Crawman calls it, it's just life on life. That's what you're doing. It's just life on life. Mm. And so you need someone that you can do ministry life with. Uh, it might not even be a pastor. Mm. It might be a faithful brother that has walked with Christ for That's years might be an older man. I, I mean, I think back uh, to this older gentleman. His name was Dupree in the second church I uh, pastored. And we would get together, I think it was on Tuesday mornings, and we would pray. Well, he, he was serving me. He was mentoring me in ministry and encouraging me along the way. And we would talk about the Lord and talk about what the Lord was doing. Well, Dupree was not a pastor. And Yet he mentored me along the way. Sometimes people that you are discipling and mentoring end up mentoring you. Yeah. And there, there's that reciprocal relationship, and you may not even realize it. And so I think back to, to a group that I was discipling when I was in college. And you know, years later, I realized they, they unintentionally were mentoring me because they were pushing me in areas, and they were questioning me, and they were challenging me in areas. And I needed that. So... Don't necessarily think of it as I've got to be in a position and there's an older guy that's 25 years older than me and he's going to be teaching me things and we're going through a book or we're doing something like that. 
If you can do that, great. Look for whatever God may give you. Plead with the Lord to raise up someone. And don't turn your nose up at someone that might serve you and mentor you along the way. Uh, and, and it may be a layman. Uh, it, it may be an older pastor that you don't, maybe you don't agree with him in everything. Uh, you know, Dr. Oford was a dear mentor. I did not agree with him on, mm. on everything. Our, our views on sanctification differed. Uh, this, uh, and, and, and he knew I differed with him on that. But, but I loved and appreciated him and appreciated his walk with the Lord. So look for those that, that are willing to pour into your life and listen to you. I had a, in the second church I was in, there was an older pastor in the community. He, he was probably, he was probably 20 years older than me. And, and he, he would take me out to lunch and just talk to me. And the Lord used him in my mm. life. Mm. So uh, some of those, you might buy lunch for an older pastor and say, could I take you out to lunch? He may end up buying your lunch. But <laughs> uh, have those kind of relationships. You, you, you have to work on it. And I think sometimes we're afraid to do that. I'm, I appreciate it. If a guy asks, now, as I said, I did turn that one guy down, but I did buy his lunch that day. Uh, hey, he got a free lunch <laughs> he, out of it. Man. He got a free lunch out of it. Uh, but most of the guys that have said, will you mention me? I've said, sure, I'd be glad to. Or, okay, I can I can do this, but there are going to be some parameters. Yeah. You know, I've got other things going on. I can't sure, just devote. Yeah. With other responsibilities. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you l- look for those kind of things. Don't. Don't start with the ideal way that, okay, we're, we're going to meet every week or every other week and we're going to read through, uh, you know, uh, Bob Vink's Wonderful Works of God or something like that. You know, it may not be like that. Yeah. It may just be getting together and talking. Maybe somebody you can call on the phone. So it may be somebody that's I, – I, I've got a guy that I've been mentoring for a number of years, and he lives, um, oh, probably about 800 miles from me. Wow. Uh, maybe no, no, it's more than that. It's probably closer to a thousand miles from me. But we talk, we text, we email, um, we visit once in a while. We get together at some events, and I've been mentoring him for a number of years. And there was a situation I was walking through, and I actually called and asked his advice. I, I've done that, and he's uh, he's the age of some of my kids, uh, but I've enjoyed that kind of mentoring relationship. Yeah. There's humility there. What's amazing, too, is like sometimes these relationships happen without you even really knowing them. I, yes. I'll never forget. Um, so I'm from Mississippi. Uh, we were members at a church, and there was a newer pastor and that came in, and he invited me to coffee just to talk and get to know me. And what that led to was us meeting every single week in the coffee shop to where the coffee people they knew we were coming. They were ready for us, and that just was a beautiful relationship that still goes on today uh, where we would just talk about life. Uh, I remember as a young guy, just being younger, him him asking me my input on things like you know, what he should do with his sermon or yeah. feedback on, on what he was planning to preach or the preaching calendar or you know, all of these little details. It was just so, uh, for me, just it took me back, um, him asking me that, but... It was just such a, a beautiful relationship that really just kind of started out of nowhere. There really wasn't an intention to 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 from the beginning to do that, but once we were doing it, it was just so sweet, uh, a sweet sweet time. Yeah. And so every time we call each other, we're like, we're next time we see each other, we're gonna 
go to another coffee shop because that yeah. coffee shop is, has been shut down. You know, one thing I would add to that, and that and that's the kind of relationships that I, I love to see, but this is where older pastors need to be intentional. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're barging in, you're trying to control somebody else's life, you're trying to tell them, I, you know, I've learned everything, I'm going to tell you how to do ministry. But just build relationship. Yeah. You, there are so many young guys out that just want a pastor that will pay attention to them and listen to them and notice them and take the time to have conversations. So I would encourage older pastors, you have a stewardship, and you don't want to get to the end of your life, and you haven't been pouring into other guys in the next generation who, who are going to be following you. So older guys need to be looking for those opportunities. Yeah. And I think you make a good point, too, of being uh, transparent about what that relationship might look like and uh, being aware that at the end of the day, you are a human being. Yeah. You have other responsibilities and other relationships that you have uh, been entrusted with that you need to, to to take care of. And so I've seen it so many different ways. Uh, you know, I'm uh, at Open Door. I went through the internship at Open Door. And I've seen my pastor, Dwayne Milioni, mentor so many that mm-hmm. have gone out yeah. and mentored others. And, and I've seen how he still is available to those guys that have gone out uh, when they have questions. And, and that's beautiful to see. And I've seen working across from Chuck Lawless, um, how students just roll into his office every week for mm-hmm. you know a 30-minute meeting with him, but they're consistent. They do it throughout the semester. Yeah. And man, there's just there's there's so be- so much beauty in that. Yeah. Just seeing guys that are hungry to be mentored, uh, guys that are hungry to mentor, and then just to see those relationships kind of develop throughout the years to where you've got guys that at Open Door that I've seen that completed the internship ten. 15 years ago that still called Dwayne yeah, when they have an issue. Absolutely. And uh, he's he's just so willing to help them. So, uh, but I agree. I, I think for guys that are, that are listening, I think if you're, especially if you're an aspiring pastor, the first place you need to go is to your pastor yeah. to see if, if, if you can meet. But I also love the point that you make that sometimes it, it's people that we're discipling uh, as well. Uh, so, in your book, you, you talk a lot about building a culture of discipleship in the fruitful years of ministry. That's that's one of the the, yeah. the, the sections of your book. How do you build a culture of discipleship, yeah. and how can pastors measure to see if they are, in fact, creating and living out a culture yeah. of discipleship? I, I think, one, probably preeminently, you model what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, and so... You're, you're living out the Christian life. You are um, Christ-centered in the way you're looking, the way you're thinking. That's your, that's your worldview. That shows up in your preaching. It shows up in your counseling. Uh, so in that way, those around you are beginning to see, okay, this is what it means to walk like Jesus. Uh, and, you know, when, when Paul could say, be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ— I think we need to have that same kind of spirit, not in an arrogant way. I mean, that I think Paul said that with great humility. So we, we need we need to be setting an example. The the second thing we need to be investing in others, and and so we can't necessarily one on one disciple everybody in the congregation. Now, go back and look at Richard Baxter with his catechizing the <laughs> the whole the whole community. Okay. 
that was in a different era. Right. You know, we're, we're not living in the 17th century. We're, uh, we're, all of our people are, are within easy walking distance. So that means we have to pick out some that we can disciple. And then out of that, we're encouraging them, okay, who can you invest in? And a lot of times it's not a structured thing where we, we've got our pyramid and we're working through and this person does this and that. A lot of times it's just natural overflow. So one of the things that I've, that I've seen over the years is some of the guys that I've been discipling, mentoring, training, they would, I wouldn't say, I, sometimes I would say, hey, will you reach out to this person and see if you can invest in them? Uh, a lot of times they just did it naturally. Mm. Uh, and then and use the word invest. I, I was on a mission trip in southern France. We were, we were doing some teaching, helping helping a, um, a church there. And so uh, the guy was with me and I went with the pastor. We were going somewhere, and the pastor said, I need to stop. You know, we're driving through this little village. He said, I need to stop and invest in this person. And so my friend and I looked at each other and said, invest <laughs> and and we thought that was odd but that, i thought that was very insightful mm-hmm. who are the people that you're investing in that doesn't mean that you're necessarily sitting down and doing a one-on-one bible study with them but you are pouring into their life and and so as pastors and church leaders we need to be thinking about who are those lives that we're touching so it may not be in a formal way but the the way we're walking with Jesus should be rubbing off in others. And I think in the long run, that begins to build this culture of discipleship because people want to walk with Christ. They're going to be listening to the preaching better. Uh, They're going to be asking questions. They're going to be receiving counsel. Uh, they're going to be willing to listen when they're being corrected and know that it's, it's happening for their good. So as you're shepherding, it, it, so a shepherd is really giving giving intense care to uh, to those uh, around him. Uh, as you're shepherding, that in itself begins to build this culture of discipleship because generally the Lord's worked in your life. You want to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to be a cul-de-sac at that point. Yeah. You, you want to you want to be a, a conduit, and and you're also emphasizing in your teaching and preaching the one another passages. So love one another, uh, bear one another's burdens, welcome one another, be kind to one another, you know, on and on we can go. That in itself begins to build this kind of culture of disciple-making because in disciple-making, we as disciples, we're followers, Mm -hmm. we're learners. And so we're building that kind of spirit of learning from one another and receiving from from one another and encouraging one another. In a lot of ways, pastors have a glance into people's lives in a way that nobody has from baptizing their children or maybe even them uh, to performing weddings, to walking through them, walking with them through ups and downs of their lives to maybe even preaching their funeral. And so there's just such an opportunity to come alongside and disciple, uh, disciple your members. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to make sure we had time for this question. So you were here on campus uh, of Southeastern in October mm-hmm. for the Unite Conference. Uh, you led a breakout session on when ministry hurts that I that I attended. I actually kept that handout. I brought it home, told my wife, I'm keeping this. I'm putting this good. in my filing cabinet. I actually have it here today. It was just such a good talk. I, could you share some tips for pastors and church leaders 
listening on what to do when experiencing some seasons of hurt in ministry, because let's be honest, I mean, the past three years have been completely full yeah. of of hurts and challenges on top of what just is the day-to-day, always, yeah. Yeah. you know, for, for pastors. Well, w- one thing we need to realize, those kind of things are going to happen, and what what I did in that breakout session at the Unite Conference was just I, I went through the scripture and I, I think I left a whole bunch of scripture passages. Yeah, what on, I love uh, about it, each under each, each point you had yeah. about eight or nine yeah. passages of scripture. And, and what I'm trying to do is just to show a variety of ways that hurts came up. So you could track through the Apostle Paul's life. You could you could see all kinds of hurts and you could see it in the book of Acts. You really see it in his epistles when he gets to be autobiographical. And so you read through Second um, Corinthians, and boy, you see it. You read through the pastorals, and you see it. Uh, you can also see that in Peter's life. I mean, just think about that first meeting of the disciples right before Pentecost. They're having to deal with a betrayal. Mm. One that had walked with them, had eaten meals together and served together, and yet he betrayed them and betrayed the Lord Jesus. And so they're, they're having to deal with that hurt. And, and you could, in one sense, say that the church was birthed out of that kind of deep, intense hurt. So they were learning, how do we rebuild relationships of trust? Because, you, you know, can't you imagine? Some of these guys are wondering, well, how about this guy over here? Is, is he going to bail out? Is he going to do something dastardly like that? And so you're struggling to learn to really trust others in the body. That that's where being part of the church means you are learning to be transparent. You're learning to be vulnerable. Uh, the the worst advice that I got in my ordination council back in 1975 was a pastor who said, "Don't get close to your people." And I, I had alarms going off mm. inside me when when he said that. I thought that can't be right, uh, and it's not right. But in the process of getting close to your people. Sometimes you're going to get wounded. Sometimes they're going to be pained. Sometimes you're going to get betrayed. They're going to be hurts. Uh, Sometimes they're going to be difficulties, as you as you mentioned earlier, of things that happen. Like you know, who would have thought COVID would have shut everything down for as long as it did and rearranged the way people thought about how do we even do church, uh, which is unfortunate. That's a whole other issue. Uh, so th- those hurts are there. So what do you do? One. You recognize these are reality. Two, you've got to keep walking with Jesus. Those hurts do not change the relationship of the Lord. You've got to keep walking with him. Mm. Three, you, you've got to realize he is working something in your life. And we we often talk about how God is sovereign. I mean, it's great preaching stuff, isn't it? It's also great living stuff, but it's not easy. Yeah, when you're in a valley, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, I, I, I was reading— I mentioned to you, I was reading in Ecclesiastes this morning, and, and, and this whole issue was, was arising in, uh, in Ecclesiastes 7. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? And he's calling it the work of God. And then he says, in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. And I was refreshing my spirit, convicted and refreshing my spirits as I walked through that and, and thinking, okay, there are areas in my life where, I mean, th- throughout my 50-plus um, years as a believer and, and preaching for over 50 years now, 
And th- there are areas in my life where I had things all planned out. It's going to be like this. I mean, you plan a church. It's going to be like this. You go pastor a church. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's where we're going to go. Uh, you know, we're all into our big plans and our goals and all those kind of things. And what happens when those things get shattered? Well, we can get angry. We can become bitter. We can despair. You know, oh, no, the things that I just knew God was going to do is those things are not happening. And and a lot of times people say, I've had it with ministry, and, and they're out. Or they bolt in a church where they're going through difficulties. They bolt quickly and go to another church and then have to relive the, the same kind of thing. And things. in a way, they've wrapped their identity in those things. Yes, yes, exactly. And so what, what I'm seeing and thinking on in this passage is, you know, I've had my plans, but then the Lord bends them. And who can straighten what he bends? So what do we do? If you're in those, those days of prosperity, be happy. Enjoy it. Good. But in those days of adversity, the Lord made those days too. Mm. So if he made those days, and he is infinitely good, and he is, he is gracious and merciful, and we see the cross and we see the empty tomb, and we see the triumph of Christ— then know that even even when he bends those days, those those days end up working for our good. And so we you know we often are quoting uh, Romans eight twenty eight, and we're thinking about God causing all things to work together for good to those that love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. And that's great when we're counseling with someone, but how about with us mm-hmm. when we're going through it? it th- this is where the practicality of our walk with Christ, our sanctification really puts feet into place. And, and we're learning that if, uh, if things are adverse, and they will be from time to time, I mean, that, that's the reality. Uh, we're going to have hardships. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to face betrayals. We're going to face wounds. Um, I mean, I, I think back early in, in one church, Two guys that were two of my closest friends were undermining me to get rid of me, and they literally were trying to bring it to the uh, church to vote me out. And and these are two of my best friends. We did stuff together. We went to each other's home. We had meals together. So those kinds of things happen, and they can either destroy you or they can reshape you, not to be a bitter, uh, crotchety old pastor who becomes cynical about everything. Right but someone who's learning to live in uh, life in Christ. Mm. And see, that's the ultimate growth. Uh, and, and so I, I look at those trials and adversities. They're going to come. They may come in a, in a quantum way with something like COVID, but they also come in those small ways where someone is undermining or someone is, is um, you know, throwing a wrench into all the works of what's going on and your plans get thrown out of shape. You've got to think, yes, the Lord brought the day of prosperity, but he also brought those days of adversity, uh, so so that we won't know, you know, as uh, as Ecclesiastes says, so that we will not discover anything that will be after him. So, in in other words, we don't really know what's ahead, but we know we can trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. We know we can rest in Him. So that's that's the ultimate aim, and it's a process. You know, you're, you're when you go through adversities. And hurts. You're learning about yourself, uh, and 
what we tend to want <clears throat> to want to do and just be pointing at others who are maybe doing some bad things or sometimes some really stupid things and and we can come apart on it but we got to see what is the lord teaching us about ourselves what is he teaching us about himself so that we learn to live life in him and in that we can learn with paul to give thanks even in the midst of those times or as he says in uh, in Romans 5, to exult in our tribulations. I mean, he's, he talks about exulting in the glory of God. So, yeah, I'm yeah, ready yeah. for that. But then he says, we also exult in our tribulations because of what that produces in us, that, that perseverance, that, um, that proven character, that hope, that love of God, that work of the Spirit in us. And so as, as we see those kinds of things, uh, a lot of it is putting into practice things that, that we know in the Scripture, things we've preached, but then living in those. Yeah, and it's, a, it's easy to do it when you're on the mountain, and it's yeah. so much harder to do it when you're in the valley. And I think there's a recognition that you know we can easily buy into the lie that when we're in those moments of, of hurt and those difficult seasons, we tend to look very inward, but we also tend to think we're very isolated. Or yeah. we may even try to isolate ourselves purposely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a recognition that that we don't need to be alone right. in those moments. You know, there was a mentor uh, of mine that experienced a ministry hurt, and one of the first questions he asked was, "How's your wife?" Because the reality is, is a lot of times when you're experiencing these ministry hurts, it's not even just you directly that, exactly. that's getting it. Uh, yeah. It's your wife, it's your kids as well, and that's one of the things that you mentioned in in your talk as well is you know, being able to help your wife process some yeah. of these ministry hurts too. Because when you're attacked, she's attacked. Absolutely. And she may feel it more deeply than you do. And, um, you know, we, my wife and I talk about these kinds of things regularly. And, you know, it's one thing for us as pastors, we, we've got our network. You know, I, I look at the privilege I've had through the years to get to know pastor friends and missionaries professors and they're scattered all over the globe and, I, and I've got so many wonderful friends while she has been home m- most of the time uh, raising kids and their you know, hours are long out of the house but but she's not been able to travel with me in all the places I've been and and uh, and so I have this big big network she doesn't have his big network and she knows a lot of my friends but she doesn't have as much of, uh, of the opportunity. So she may feel those hurts deeper than I do, which means I'm going to be really conscientious to love her and help her walk through impatiently. Well, you know, you just need to get over this. No, of course not. We, we don't just get over those deep hurts and wounds. It's that long process where the Lord brings us together and we're learning to live life in Him. Yeah, and, and again, you know, you mentioned this earlier when you were talking about your early years of ministry. There may be a time where while you're doing ministry, you just kind of take these blows, but there may be a time down the road where those blows catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, coming to seminary uh, and uh, connecting with Chuck Lawless, he invited me to his office to have a talk and I'll never forget the the first question he asked me was, how are you doing? And I just broke down. Hmm. In my head, I'm like, "What? you're crying in Chuck Lawless's <laughs> office right now. But when I came to seminary, the reality was is that while it was a very fruitful time, it was also a time of pain. There were a lot of things that uh, 
were coming out and it was a uh, it was a time where i needed people yeah. to walk with me yeah. and uh praise god that we don't walk this we don't run this race alone yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are there are people on the side cheering us on there's runners with us yeah. and uh it i would just encourage anyone listening to this podcast right now that does not have some type of relationship that we are talking about. It doesn't have to be somebody you talk to every single day, right. but when there are times in your life that uh, are challenging or you just have questions that you can go to to let them know uh, and to help you process um, both the good and the bad. Yes. Yeah. So any final words of encouragement for pastors and church leaders listening this week? Yeah, th- uh, think about pastoring as a long journey. You know, there's, it's, it's not a sprint. It's more than a marathon. It's really a long hike uh, with the camping along the way, going up the mountain. There are ups and downs with it. And I, I was uh, reading, uh, I, 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 think it was, uh, I think it was John Stott that was using his illustrations. Talking, he was talking about the Christian life, but I would say pastor works like this. If you're, if you're climbing a high mountain, you don't, you're not always going on the ascent. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are descents along the way as you make your way on the ascent. And I would say that that is true of pastoral ministry. And you're going to realize you're going to sometimes have those days that are really difficult or those seasons that are difficult. And they may last for weeks, sometimes it's months, sometimes maybe it's a few years. Uh, but in those seasons, you, you are learning that the jo- uh, the joy of Jesus, the joy of knowing Him, is greater than the work of ministry. And I I don't say that as as trying to be pie in the sky. That's reality. Learn to find your joy in the Lord Jesus, uh, because if if your joy, if, if who you are, is I'm a pastor of X Y Z Church, and we've done this and we've done that, then brother, you're going to get shattered one day. And and it's going to be the Lord shattering you because mm-hmm. He doesn't want you to to wrap your joy in that church or that ministry. He wants your joy wrapped up in Him, and He is a jealous God with a holy, pure jealousy that He wants us to enjoy Him and delight in Him because all those other things are going to pass away one day. Yeah, uh, you're going to be in that position where either either you die in the pulpit or. You retire, you step down, you move away, you get sick, you can't continue on. And if you've wrapped your life so much around pastoring, and I and I love pastoring. I mean, I wouldn't have done it so long. I couldn't have done it so long <laughs> if I didn't love it and, di- and didn't find lots of delights in it. But your joy's got to be in the Lord. Mm. And one day when, when all that's over, there's that joy of Jesus that, that's been growing and developing in you. And so I, I would just encourage pastors in that way. That's a good word, brother. Well, that'll do it. Dr. Newton, thank you again for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join the conversation. I want to encourage uh, the pastors and church leaders listening to add Dr. Newton's new book to your library, whether you're a new pastor or one that has been in ministry for decades. Uh, This book will be a valuable resource for you, one that will encourage you every time you pick it up. If you know a guy who's fresh in ministry, it's a fantastic gift to give him. Uh, And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. 